Welcome to the Homebrew School Builders Club, where we delve into the minds of school founders and leaders, exploring their unique journeys and innovative approaches. I want to introduce Kelly Smith, the CEO and founder of Prenda Schools. Kelly is a self-proclaimed data nerd and salutatorian at MIT who didn't know how to learn until he was at MIT. That's what he says sometimes. And then started his real journey when he actually learned how to learn. Kelly, welcome to the podcast for the third time. You're officially the most frequent guest on the podcast. Yeah, Andres, it's a huge honor. I appreciate you having me and I uh, love the work you're doing. Yeah, hope you enjoyed the different kind of intro. We did the normal intro last time, so I said uh, I'd spice it up. <laughs> hey, I don't mind. The word nerd, I think, gets a bad rap. I'm I'm all about it. I think my Twitter, says, my Twitter says physics nerd. So specifically, <laughs> if it's a physics thing and you want to talk about that. Uh, in fact, I met a guy yesterday. He's 17 years old, lives in India, and he's obsessed with using wind energy from very high altitudes acquired by gliders that have little turning turbines and batteries. I mean, it's like such a cool, interesting project. I have no idea how it's going to go, but uh, anytime we're talking physics, I'm, I'm all about it. If that's the thing, those kind of stories are the most inspiring. And just because you wrote a, an amazing book, my most highlighted Kindle read this year. Uh, and one thing you said, I, I can't remember if it's your quote if, or if it's from someone else. You said, understanding what it means for the world and the species when a young person decides to learn to be a learner that's like the amazing thing and the guy you just referenced in india so that's that's those kind of stories where they go deep. Uh, i told this kid I, it's like look if this doesn't work at all from a physics perspective or maybe it does work from a physics perspective but it's not a good business and you can't sell power ever i'm like it's still a huge success like do what you're doing and tell everyone that they should do this too. Like we need, we need passionate learners chasing some big thing that, and I, I love that at that age, the world hasn't yet, you know, beat it out of you, right? You're yeah. still, if you're still able to uh, tackle something and, and take it on. I mean, it is, look, it's crazy. You've done it. It's crazy to start something new. Yeah. The odds are against you. There's lots of reasons why you, you know, it's easier just to like watch Netflix or whatever, but Oh, man, the world needs it. We need it. And yeah. individuals need it too. It's what we're meant for. So if you're listening and you're thinking about some big thing you want to start, like, please do it. Don't think too hard. Dive in. You're going to learn so much more in the process that even if you fail, it's worth it for you. And it's your usual, uh, I think, uh, a comment about micro schools, like just go and start it, right? Just, Absolutely. just go ahead. Start. Yeah. hundred percent on this. I mean, the, the ways we talk ourselves out of this. I, like, what if I don't get, you know, the actual procedures for the IEP exactly right? Or what if I submit something wrong in a spreadsheet? It's like, oh my gosh, there's children out there that are going through their day all day long and no one cares about them and they know it. And they're just, they believe that they're just not worth any sort of investment. Like if you can be that person and show them like, look, you're capable of way more than you think. I believe in you. I've got you. Like, that's huge. Like, who cares about the spreadsheet, right? Please do it. Start, start, a, start a micro school, have that impact. Yeah, the world needs it. And you, you have these amazing stories in your book where you just, you know, there's stories of, of kids who are, have this, this fear that you just talked about. Like, fear, just don't do anything, don't do much because you're going to get shouted at by the teacher. Um, there's a stick waiting to whack you on the head if you do something wrong. 
and yeah. you know how easy it is for a guide who's caring uh to met kind of uh, if you can just melt away in the right in the right <laughs> circumstances did i did i say it was easy andreas i, I didn't mean no to call. yes no you didn't <laughs> that was the slip of the tongue you didn't say no it it's fine it's interesting it's totally possible for a loving trusting relationship but one of the stories in the book I mean, there was this guy and he had had tons of trauma as a kid in and out of foster care. His name is Josh Ship. Incredible story. But he was, I mean, he talks about how he spent three years, three whole years trying to get kicked out of this foster home, which is like number, you know, 12 mm -hmm. on his, his stop. And he just like, I'm going to get at this guy every way I can and make fun of him for his weight. I'm just going to be awful to this guy. I'm going to steal his car and go get arrested for driving out late, you know, all of this stuff. And he does all of this and the guy's like, hey, you can keep trying all you want, right? Like, it's not going to work. I'm yeah. here for you and yeah. you're just sabotaging yourself. To be that, it's not easy, right? It takes yeah, it's sometimes incredible amounts of like patience and all the other things, but like totally worth it, right? You look at what's yeah. happened to the guy who's now gone on and changed his life and had an impact on lots of other people. So yeah, I remember yeah, that story. Do it. Yeah, I remember and the, the other story, again, which shows how it's not easy, I don't know if it was your own micro school or with your wife or it was an, another, where there's a, a student who's acting out because uh, he or she can't get the math right. And then the guide, or I don't know who, it, I can't remember who it was, like just yeah. stays with them and says, no, what's wrong? Like, you can do it. I'm here. Just it's like that. And then he starts crying or something. It turned into tears. And um, and I think what's cool about a second grader, this was a boy named Noah, um, you know, is like they, there is armor and there's scar tissue and all that stuff's built up. But like, there's also that vulnerable like heart underneath. And you can't just by sitting with them. And by the way, like that experience, you know, I, I was talking to her. This was my wife as the guide. And this boy was struggling with reading, you know, and he was trying his lessons, but he kind of didn't want to try because it was scary to try. It always felt like he was wrong. He was very good at making people laugh. And so he was being silly and distracting others and doing all the things. I mean, she had 12 opportunities in that interaction to like basically just punish him, dismiss yeah. him, push him away, reinforce this message of like, you just can't. And instead of that, she chose to sit with him and just patiently like wait. And it, it melt. I think melt is a good word, right? Yeah, like, it is. Yeah. Some time to get through all of that. But eventually it was like, they're genuinely like, I'm afraid I'm in second grade. My sister reads well, I don't read well. And I, you know, I'm getting this message that that's a problem, right? That that's bad. And so if you think of like, what's possible for that child, especially as they finally can be like, okay, yeah, maybe this is coming hard for me, but I can do it. Um, and if they're willing to take that risk, I mean, if they're not, they're never gonna learn, right? So getting them to that point, of take that risk and it's okay and i don't care any different if you're wrong seven times in a row that's totally fine like yeah. 70 times in a row you can be wrong yeah and i'm still just be here for you you know yeah and it, it, indeed it might take a long time and the student we had last year for the entire year he was acting up uh you know turning off his camera not doing work and we were really like worried that we're not serving the student and we had a, a call with the parents and they were like, he's, he's changed so much. He comes down to breakfast in the morning. He used to just stay in his room. He talks to us. He's 
you know, you couldn't see any of that. It was like underneath mm-hmm. the ice. And then gradually, but it took over a year to, to really, you know, begin learning and kind of get rid of all that armor and scar tissue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just maybe a good moment in the podcast to just pause and say the true educators, right? The work of, and this is, includes people from all different types of, of environments, the people who care, who are there for kids in that way, um, hats off, right? Yeah. Like a genuine thank you for the work you're doing in the world. So true. So true. So over the, the past two times we talked, so first it was in 20, in August, 2019, it was a while, not a short while after you started the episode, I linked it. It's called 80 schools in 80 months because in eight months, because it was about that time you had already 80, 80 Prenda schools. And we talked a lot about, you know, your origin story, how you started. And I think one key thing was the realization, uh, what we're just talking about now, the role of the adult, how anyone can be a guide in the right circumstances, because it's that caring adult, it's not the content transmission, the vessel you talk about, uh, mm-hmm. filling the vessel, it's kindling the fire. And then the second time we talked was in May, 2021, we focused more on the learning model um, you know, the conquer, connect, collaborate, create. I, I got it wrong then. Now I have it done. <laughs> I have it done now. So that was in uh, May, 2021. And that you, you already had like a lot of success. There was a lot of schools everywhere. You'd seen that there was a lot of demand for it. So that's two, two years uh, and plus two and a half years have passed. So what's like a short update <laughs> during that yeah. time? I mean, we talk about this all the time internally with my team. We've navigated two pretty major seismic shifts. One of those really obvious and visible to everybody, which is the pandemic and the schools shutting down worldwide, everybody in a mode of like, what is going on? What do we do? There was all kinds of desperation and confusion uh, all over the place. So we talked COVID in 21 when we, when you and I talked last, um, you know, I don't think I understood in that moment, even what that was, what really was going on. Um, I would say, on the one hand, it was a short-term emergency where people needed something. And Prenda, I think I probably gave some numbers. We saw a huge influx of people. We tried to be there for them to say, look, we'll help you as long as you need help. We're here for you. A lot of those folks went back. So fall of 2021, they were like, oh, schools are open again. Thank yeah. you. That was the best year of my child's education. I literally heard this. I heard this over and over again. Like That was truly astonishing that we got to see that. And we're going back, you know, <laughs> we're used to things that are different and we're just not quite ready for, uh, we're used, we're used to the old way. Right. And so that's fine. That's how adoption models work. And everybody who's seen, the, you know, the, the curve with the chasm and the, yes, you know, all yes, things. like this is how it works. That's so that was one kind of major shift. I think the second shift and it's a related shift, but it's equally seismic, but it's happening kind of below, below the ground, which is the mindset shift around what education is. So if you ask people in 2019, before the pandemic, why do we send our kids to school? They would have had a set of answers. In 2023, those answers are very different from what they were in 2019. So over just a a couple of years, there's been this rethinking of, well, why? What is this about? What are we doing here? Um, it's, It's great because it's led a lot of people to think in a much more like, active hands-on way and you see this explosion of entrepreneurship and innovation people who weren't part of um you know part of solutions necessarily 
I think a lot of parents in the past felt stuck. It was like, I'm passively receiving this thing. The best thing I can do is complain on behalf of my child. Well, now you could create on behalf of your child and other children. And that shift is huge. That's underscored in the US by this sequence of school choice programs that have evolved and emerged all over. I live in Arizona, one of the big ones. You and I both work in Florida. There's there's a huge program there. And what this is, is fundamentally transformational to the world. These programs are are becoming very popular very fast. It's dollars for school. Now, mind you, it's like half the dollars, right? Arizona's $14,000 per kid is spent on kind of by a government school. The parents in education in the parents in Arizona can get $7,000, but $7,000 is money. And you can use that. Most micro schools cost less than that, right? So I can use that to create my own learning environment or choose a different learning environment that's totally different than what I was getting before. And it can be tailored now to my child. So that shift has been huge. And I'm giving like probably these yeah. like sweet historical lessons. This is what you wanted. But no, it is. It is. Settle of all of it. So it's, it's been really exciting. It does seem like you foresaw, like it feels like you foresaw it because you, <laughs> it seems that you started Prenda before the sweeping. Yeah. The education landscape is changing enormously around the country. Yeah. Like North Carolina just announced this huge ESA or yep. it's, um, and but Brenda started much before that. You were like uh, working with uh, districts and charters and stuff to to because that's that's how you wanted to make it available to everyone. So you had to, to do it somehow. But now these sweeping reforms are are it's really like you foresaw what was coming. You're one of the the, the first people who did these microschools in the, this way at least. Yeah, well, and the it's nice to see the market move our direction, right? I think yeah. we were trying a lot of different things. We were still, to, just to be clear on the record, like if any superintendent's listening, yes. wants, please call me. I would love yeah. to work with you. I think micro schools are a politically agnostic device that true it format for education that can really help kids. And if that's you, like honestly reach out. I think what we saw is inside of the the regulatory regime and what charter schools have to deal with and what district schools have to deal with. There were a lot of places where the laws were just written under old assumptions. And so we were always in in friction with the way that that happened. Um, and now with, with school choice and with these, these ESA programs, we're able to truly deliver on this mission of lighting fires for kids. Um, it's been really cool. So over the last one year, maybe less, we've seen a full shift of like all of our kids, instead of being signed up through um, you know, some sort of school program are, are signed up as private school students with, and private micro schools. So it's, it's kind of halfway between homeschool and private school and the regulations still depend on how the policy is written, but we see lots of kids that are now, uh, you know, laser focused on becoming empowered learners, which is what Prentice been about from the beginning. Yeah. That's crazy. In the past two times we talked to you, we referenced some influences. So we had talked about Sugatra, Mitra, and kind of the classroom in the cloud or the, the computer in the wall, whatever, like how students can find their own fire, their own motivation. We had talked about Khan, Sol Khan and Mastery. We talked about Acton and the, the model there. Uh, now with all that's going on, these people are a bit like the founding fathers of this movement and they are known by everyone. 
Yeah. Are there any recent influences or things that have shifted your mindset over the past couple of years, which are further changing the way you think about the Prenda model? I'm going to give you a, um, an unexpected answer to this one, um, because it has shifted pretty heavily the way I thought about the Prenda model. It was there all along, but I didn't see it or didn't understand it. Um, and it's a recent influence that's now long dead and hundreds of years old. So, um, it's, it's Maria Montessori. Um, and we get this a lot. Well, as I'm explaining what's happening in a micro school, we just talked a minute ago about the connect, the power that an, a caring adult can have in transforming a kid's life. Montessori understood that at a, at a level that was very, very deep and powerful. And I think still to this day is just massively underrated what she really understood. I'll be honest, I didn't get it. Um, some Montessori people have come, literally come to visit my micro school and they've said things like, hey, you're, you're basically like doing Montessori things. I was doing them instinctively. I, I just sort of, from who I am as a human and what I interpret to be decent, high integrity behavior towards kids. But like, it turns out it's the exception to the rule. It's not how adults typically do things. It's not even how adults are trained to do things. And so to really forge genuine connection um, and grant autonomy and, and sort of inspire growth in the way that needs to happen for real education to take place. Again, I know this is not a, you're probably no, no. expecting AI or something, but like, no, no. that's, that's really the missing link here. I think, you know, a micro school compared to something else you could, you can, and I think you do, you see inquiry, Socratic method, and you see project-based learning. People are doing that stuff, but if it's missing that element of connection, um, you've got nothing. We've seen it with micro schools. So, you know, we work, we've, we started over a thousand micro schools now that's the number. So um, and not all of them are still running. A lot of those came and went in the, in the pandemic. So over that time, you know, I've seen a lot of different people start micro schools and there are varying degrees of success with this, right? It's not about pedagogy, not about the technology. We've provided the same technology to everyone. It's like, why do some micro schools do so incredibly well? You go visit, you watch these people. I was at a micro school yesterday. This woman's quiet. She's not somebody you would put her in front of the room and bring everybody in. But watching her one-on-one -on -one with these kids, it was like they knew where they stood. They knew how this was going to work. She didn't take a lot of nonsense from them. But at the same time, she was gentle, assertive. Uh, anyway, it's just great. And it's like she did it in her way. Other guys do it in their way. Connection is a deeply human thing that I, I think we need to understand a lot, lot deeper because it's such a key to that foundation of trust that's required for real, um, real learning to take place. How do you instill, or I don't know if it's training, professional development, I think it's more than that. Those words are not sufficiently mm. deep to, to express it. Like, how do you instill this Prenda culture that you, so you have your yeah. learning model, which is a practical thing, but there's more than that right. in all these thousand, thousand plus micro school guides. So we, we do talk about it a ton. I mean, it's baked into our core values and our mission and um, our culture's heavily, you know, written around this. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of being, I don't know, indoctrinated or whatever, uh, including the book, including, I would say the fourth mode. So when I started my micro school, there was, there was conquer, collaborate, create. It was all about tackling the material and doing things. And my team at Edit Connect as a fourth model really without me 
I wasn't even fully convinced at the time they did it because I didn't understand this insight, right? And so to say like, how can we just keep this front and center for everybody and develop? Now, what I'll say is all of that stuff's good and it has to be there. It has to be authentic, meaning it has to go all the way down. Like I have to hold myself to the same standards as I'm asking guides and kids to do. Uh, if not, it weakens the whole thing. That's the way culture works. Like inauthentic culture is worse than no core values, right? If you're like lying about it. So it's really, really important to, to be authentic. That said, there's things that people just, and we've seen this with, you know, you hire somebody and there's this thing that you can't just like tell people. And there's a, a strong selection effect that has to happen. And Predator does this kind of in a couple ways, right? One is we, we set out in the world, the way we even talk about ourselves, the way we engage, it's only going to attract people that agree with us, right? I agree and, with and, that. And I don't mean that in an exclusionary way. It's just like, this is what we're about. Are you about it too? And there are people that feel really, really strongly about the same things we're about. So attracting people that agree, that are aligned, that are committed to these values. And if you're not, like, there are other ways to even start micro schools, right? There's other things you can do. There's ways to maximize your income. If, if you're more driven by, let's run this like a really good business, there's ways to maximize. I don't know, there's lots of different things, but like Prenda is, we're selecting the guides. And then interestingly, there's a second selection effect, which is the guides go out to their community and they say, hey, I want to start a micro school. Well, there are some people who don't have kind of the trust with their community. Now, sometimes that's because they just moved there and they haven't yet. And we help them a lot, right? We're, we're there for you. We want to like support you every step of the way. But like, if you been engaged and these people know you and they're saying, I don't want to send my kid to you. Like that's great information for what's going to work or not work. And that helps fold the culture. I know it sounds like I'm sitting here saying, I don't want more microphones. No, no, I it do doesn't, want more yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like <laughs> that. I think that selection effect is, is very valid and yeah. it's, it might also be timing. So you, you know, you mentioned before some students came left, it was the best year of my life, but. We're not ready. Right. They, they'll probably be back in two years. Some of them are going to be back to Prenda in a couple of years, maybe when they're ready. Yeah. So it's maybe the same thing with, with the guides. Absolutely. I, I think you understand that. Um, yeah. I, I think it's interesting to think like we're inviting people on a journey and then it includes kids and includes their parents and it includes the guides and it includes us and our partners and everybody we work with. It's like all of us are trying to be this ideal of empowered learners and none of us are there yet, you know? Yeah. So I, timing's a great point. Yeah, yeah. I think I was thinking like, and when restarting the podcast, I was thinking of, I don't know if you, you're you aware of the, the homebrew meetings that were happening in the tech communities back when, where all the founders yeah. of now, the now amazing tech companies were meeting and tinkering. I think it's kind of that stage of the, the education right now where we're not there yet. We're tinkering with different things, reimagining what, what education is, and uh, wow. it's going to be a journey. I love that analogy. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's exactly where we are. Yeah, there are like just keeping with that analogy. There are starting to be a number of different micro schools. Like I was somewhere. I I heard that in around uh, around the. Uh, as Vegas Strip, there might be 30 to 50 micro schools in a 10 mile radius of different types and stripes. Uh, so there, there's people who are starting micro schools, which is great. Everything, what I see and people I meet, they have some sort of 
conquer mode, like a version of that they're using, that they're learning software, they're setting some goals. They might have a bit of PBL or create or something. And it's, you see a little bit of that. There's not like the full Prenda model, but there's some things, even Acton Academy in the past, like there's some things which are similar. Is, uh, but my question is, is this model it or is it a dynamic model? Is it evolving? Are you seeing, as you're seeing people come and I, I wouldn't say they're copying you, they're, they're just embracing best practices from you and elsewhere. Yeah. Are you seeing something new coming that you'd add to personalized learning, SEL and connect, teamwork, collaborate and projects? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I, I think learning. And at the fundamental level, so this is where I go into physics mode, right? It's like, let's get yeah. back to principles. At the fundamental level, learning is individual and learning is collective. So you take something like math. I can tell you exactly where you are using formative assessment data, benchmarks. It's like, this is what you understand. This is what you don't understand. We want that data in front of kids. I know we've talked about this before. Yeah. We want you to be able to move at your own pace. I would say using video tutorials, or online tutorials, videos, uh, constant like formative assessment that's adapting. That technology is already good. I'd say now there's new technology that's maybe even getting better uh, where it's more tailored and personalized. One of the things we recently added um, is tutoring. So uh, math was a place, especially you get into like sixth, seventh, eighth grade math. Um, and we have kids working in trigonometry or whatever. Yeah. The guide might not know, the other kids in the class yeah, might so not know getting access to an expert math teacher. And specifically, then this is really important for people that are watching um, AI, I think in, in particular, is it's really, really important that you don't just tell them the answers. Like kids are gonna find the path of least resistance. There's these tools out there, PhotoMath is one of them that all they do is just help kids cheat basically. And, yeah. and it, it's a shortcut to learning, preventing kids from really understanding anything. So I think you know what, what our tutors are doing and I'm really proud of them for this, is insisting on good pedagogy, like helping kids, like yeah. they're asking questions in, a, in an inquiry-led kind of way and asking kids to do the work, but giving them enough to help them progress, right? So scaffolded one-on-one. -on -one. And this is, you know, all of this, we're getting closer to what Benjamin Bloom was predicting in 1983 or whatever when with the Two Sigma paper that turned into the Two Sigma problem because it was so hard to deliver. Well, now it's getting closer to possible. It's still not perfect, but we're definitely making strides. And then I would say on the collective side, I think there's so much still to be done, right? But a lot of that is cultural. It's how can an adult really support you? I think adults have so many reasons to say no. How can we get adults to say yes and to say, why not? And to encourage kids to take risks and, and grow. And you go back to that boy that I was talking about from India. It's like, there's some adult in his life, hopefully saying, I support this. I think this is great that you're you're trying to do this big, big audacious goal. Yeah, I think on the on the on the personal side, I agree. It's the tutoring and focused, as you said, like on inquiry on on, on fundamental understanding. I was listening to this podcast this morning from Dan Meyer again about he was talking about math fluency and how this the student was just able to 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 do all his to add numbers, even complex numbers, and then when when they they gave him some manipulatives, he couldn't do it. Um, yeah, and so I think I agree. I think that's and that's something that again technology can help a lot. The Khan Academy AI thing is pretty cool. 
Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think they're I, doing good work with yeah, Canigo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's and a bit expensive. Kind of it's quite expensive. Fun. Yeah, um, we're just we're just testing it, so uh, I'll have more to say on that <laughs> down the road. But yeah, no, I but, mean, I I still remember at graduation. Uh, I think it was anyway. Somebody showed me this, like when I was graduating from college or grad school. They they took a battery, a wire, and a light bulb, and they walked around MIT's campus on graduation day. See all these. It's this video of all these grads in their like cap and gown, and they're all graduating in electrical engineering, right? So it's like, here's a wire, a battery, and a light bulb. Can you turn on the battery, right? Or he can you turn on the light bulb? And it was fascinating to watch, like, because there's this disconnect between what I just did in a classroom in an abstract yeah. set and what really is happening. Uh, every time I tutor kids in math, I'm trying to get them to get a fundamental understanding of what's like, what's really going on. And, you know, they get hung up on notation and my teacher wants it this way and, and all these things. It's like, no, like forget about all that for a minute. Like, do you understand what this is? Cause you're capable of that. And they feel like it's this great mystery that they don't have the keys to. And they're in this powerless, it, it's just a really frustrating experience. Right. But if you can get to like learning is something that's very much in my grasp and you're capable of it, but you know, like I think Dan Meyer would say, we, we've been copying three-act math from day one, right? So we have yeah. these kids doing his invention. Um, and it's like actually really hard to facilitate it is, good yeah. three-act math, right? To, to do that well, um, you know, you, and, and so unfortunately, a lot of these, I think really well-meaning people will land on a conclusion like, well, we just need more really amazing people. It's like, I agree. We need more really amazing <laughs> people. Like, what do we do in the meantime? You know, how do we, how do we help more kids um, and use what we've, what we've learned from those amazing people and try to bring it to, to more folks that way? I think on the collective side, what I was looking at recently and would be really cool to see it in Brandeis, uh, big picture learning. I was listening to uh, Tom Vanderark talk to the founder who's written a book. And they, they go into the community and apprenticeships from, I don't know what age they start though, but middle school, maybe like uh, mm -hmm. seventh, eighth grade. And, um, and it's like once or twice a week and they kind of put those back, they link that work back to projects and the standards and the credits. So it's, sure. it's, so that like community stuff would be cool to see in print at some point. The, the closest we've got to that, and our kids are a little younger, but um, yeah, that's true. We we do this thing called Progress Mountain. So if you're setting a math goal, you know at the beginning of the year, like this is what I understand, this is what I don't understand. So and we, we'll place it in very like pedestrian, accessible terms, right? Like you are 25 percent of the way through fifth grade math, and and maybe I'm a sixth grader, so that's behind for me. I want to catch up and get all the way done with sixth grade math by the end of the year. So my goal now is 1.75 grade levels worth of math, right? Three-fourths of uh, fifth grade and then the whole thing of sixth grade. And I'm going to do that over this year. Our software breaks that up for them, gives them like daily kind of targets this is what you do. And then we show them Progress Mountain. It's this visual wall where you can see like sort of your expected trajectory and your actual trajectory. And on the side of Progress Mountain, this is, I think, getting back to what you were just talking about, there's this thing that says my purpose and the kids write it themselves. It's like uh, just a gentle reminder of why, like, why are you doing this? Why do you care? And it leads to these conversations about, well, why should I finish sixth grade math? Like, what is that? It could be as simple as like, 
I just don't want to feel like I'm behind, right? I want yeah. like competitive drive. I want to win. Or it could be like, like one little kid was like, I want to work for NASA someday. I love rockets. Like you write that there. I mean, incredibly powerful to just keep your eyes on this, this big goal while also looking at the day-to-day small goals in front of you. It feels like um, you have this this thing I've heard you say, and also your uh, people on your team, I was listening to your, your team's podcast, uh, the vessel and the fire analogy, and also in your book, and uh, it's a Plutarch quote, and how Plutarch. we're not filling, yeah, not filling a vessel, but we're lighting a fire. And it feels like you're really trying to create a blueprint, like a re- you can't re- make it really repeatable because every every student, is, every learner is different. But there there are things you can do to make it almost a blueprint where you can, sw- you know, kind of light that fire. And yeah, exactly like what you're trying uh, to do. Katie Bradman on our team is is so deep on this, and she's invented tons of our learning model and has really been driving for connection in a lot of these pieces. Um, in fact, you should you should come be on her podcast. I think that would be really cool. But uh, one of the things Katie says is the blueprint kind of the the blueprint temptation is like as an adult we want to say here's what you do, and we think in in terms of carpentry, right? Like I'm gonna get my chisel and my hammer and work on this thing. And it's, it's tempting, but it's really the same as a vessel to be filled because what you're doing is, is thinking in concrete terms. And instead she uses this gardening metaphor. So again, it's like there's a spontaneity in lighting a fire. There's spontaneity in a garden. You know, you can set the, the conditions. That's an incredibly powerful thing you could do. You can't actually like force the sprout out of the seed to come out of the ground. And like, those are things that have to happen. And you just, uh, it's it's almost like a baked in humility to just remember that yeah. that that's not mine to do. Um, I think we cross that line all the time as adults, and it ends up harming the process. So if we can remember that we're gardeners, not carpenters, that we're lighting a fire, not filling a vessel, right? Just getting yeah. those right, it's incredibly powerful for adults. I agree, and I think I love the gardening metaphor. There's a Japanese concept called I don't know if you've heard of it it's called I don't know if I pronounce it right. Wu Wei, W-U-W-E-I, uh, it's, I think it's translated something like effortless action. So you need to act, but in, in a way that's effortless. And it's this image of the, you know, a flower that's about to open. If you try to force the petals open, you're going to destroy the flower. Or the butterfly, yeah. if you try to help it, you're going to destroy it. Um, so I think, yeah, that's very pertinent. Last question. In your book, you have this thing you'd call you talk about your second shelf that you you usually have the first thing you're doing your your first and then you have a second shelf where you have like the <laughs> side side hustle or side thing is there anything on your second shelf right now <laughs> yeah so i'm so obsessed with the mission right now of empowering learners that it's very much first shelf all the way what i would say is um there are some activities that i can't quite justify in my day-to-day or i get busy with meetings so for example i I want to make a consumer facing app for parents to just help them think through what they're like and who they are as parents. And so I'm like learning no code tools like bubble to see if uh, I do a little bit of, I'm, I can code a little, but not enough to really like make a good app. And so that's what I do at like at night. If I'm, you know, if I have some free time or I was just, you know, in between meeting, I was meeting like 
senators and stuff in, in Florida yesterday. And <laughs> I had like a two hour break. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get in and see if I can make some progress on my app. So that's, that's my, my second shelf right now. That's cool. You should do that. Now. You should. There's, there's another tool that we use, which is like Bubble. It's called Back Endless. And it's actually really good as well. Okay, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, th thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, very, very interesting as always. And keep up the great work. Thanks, Andreas. It's good to be here. Appreciate everything you're doing. Let's keep the homebrew ethos alive, crafting schools where curiosity leads the way. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode.